8.30 p.m. or pre-sign with the host by sending a direct message via social media. If you can't make it out to that den of iniquity known as mutinyradio.fm, listen in live from home or download the podcast on Apple iTunes under Friends of Mutiny. A smashing time will be had by all. Until next Saturday night at 8 p.m., cheerio, darlings. How can you say that? I knew you. Central Monday morning rail 15 cars and 15 restless riders three conductors and 25 sacks of mail all along southbound all we see the train pulls out from Kankakee and rolls along past houses farms and fields and trains that have no names and freight yards filled with old black men and the graveyards of the rusty automobile
Mississippi darkness rolling down to the sea. But the towns and the people seem to just fade into a bad dream. And the steel rail still ain't heard the news. Conductor sang your songs again, and passengers will please refrain. This train has got to disappear in railroad blue. This is for the Jeeps, 
Eso es una paloma que busca donde Morning, mutineers. Welcome to the Labor and Love Show. Come on in. Get laboring.
Good morning, Labor and Love Radio fans. Come on in. Time to work the morning shift. Here with you from 10 to 12 every Saturday morning. We look at the world of labor, the world of working people. Organized as such. Labor news, commentary, opinion, and history. By, for, and about working people. Good morning, Labor and Love Radio coming at you on a Saturday morning, kind of overcast today in the mission. Uh, Carnival's next week, right? Um, Dance groups all over the city and the area are getting ready for Carnival. A beautiful, a beautiful ceremony, even though sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate. Go down and check out Carnaval and see how the dance transforms us. This is Labor and Love Radio, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the love labor meets the road. Listen into Labor and Love Radio and get laborated. <laughs> we started out our set. Let's see, we had the last one was Victor Jara, the great Chileno uh, poet and songwriter and singer who was tortured and murdered along with thousands of other people during the U.S.-backed coup in Chile, which overthrew overthrew a a freely elected government. Uh, Henry Kissinger made the famous remark that why why should the U.S. have to suffer just because People are stupid enough to elect uh, a socialist government. Um, Victor Jara, Canto Libre. Before that, we had Aaliyah with Hands Up. Okay, that's what you hear. That's what you hear. Hands up. Get your hands up. That's what her song is called, Hands Up. And before that, we had uh, the city of New Orleans. That's kind of a tribute on my part to the great Willie Nelson, who's on tour now, around 80 years old, I believe. That was the city of New Orleans with his supergroup, the Highwaymen. Let me see. Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, and Johnny Cash. Quite a group. Okay, our subject is labor, and what have we got for you today? Volkswagen gets the NLRB to delay union elections in Tennessee. Famously, a couple years ago, Volkswagen was sitting on the fence, but people came out of nowhere to interfere with the process. 
senator said that if this passed, it would be the ruin of the state. Hardly. Um, restrictive abortion law passed or starting to pass. People who care not a bit about the mother, not a bit about the fetus, really, because the mother and the fetus need help beyond birth, okay? Once you're born, I want to forget about you. We'll have George Carlin talking about that, too. Workers are striking again in numbers that number the hundreds of thousands after almost no strike activity in 2018 and 2019. We're on it again. Um, Audrey Hepburn, member of the Dutch Underground, believe it. Several items, working class history. Do you know who Karen Silkwood is? Yes. Probably most of you do. We're going to talk a little about Karen Silkwood and her work. Let's get on with our radio labor. Okay. Where is radio labor? We had it all ready to go. All right, workers are striking again by Amy Muldoon. New figures show that the strike is back. 485,000 workers participated in major work stoppages last year, the most in decades. Labor has to use that momentum to fight for the entire working class. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, oh, pardon me, this is on the Jacobin Magazine website. The Bureau of Labor Statistics released its summary of strike activity for 2018 earlier this month. And the numbers confirm that the decades-long one-sided class war has given way to a two-sided battle. 2017 saw a depressingly low count of 25,000 workers striking in major work stoppages. 2018's total top 485,000, almost 20 times. Labor density continued to decline given the Janus decision. That decline in official union membership is happening at the same time as an uptick in on-the-job militancy. The labor is starting from a weak position. The key member of labor's key measure of labor's strength is on the rebound in a major way. Okay, so that. That kind of news is heartening. I mean, you look around here. Teachers are leading the way, but it's teachers, nurses, uh, other professionals, 
Uber drivers, people are on strike, tech, uh, telecom workers. People are on strike. People are going out. People are re-establishing that connection between the strike and their needs. Okay, what's the one thing when you when you cut it all down to its basics? What is it that they want from us? Well, they want us to. Be quiet and go to work, but what they want is our labor. So, the only thing we can do to get any kind of result is to withhold what they want. They also want us to consume. So uh, that's why boycotts are so threatening. Let's see if the radio labor report is ready. Not quite. I want to look at some of my on the beat. Here's a, here's one about Oregon teachers walking out, forcing 600 schools to close. <coughs> but they're not necessarily asking for wage increases. Okay. It's National Teacher Appreciation Week, but you wouldn't know that by talking to teachers in Oregon. We're looking at the CNN website. Thousands of frustrated teachers were airing their grievances at protests across the state Wednesday. But unlike other teacher walkouts, these educators aren't fighting for higher wages. Fed up with the overcrowded classrooms and a lack of support staff. About half of the reported classes in Oregon have 25 students or more. Some classes have 56. I had a colleague in Los Angeles who had 56 kids in her class. Instead of going to class, many teachers were taking unpaid days off work to flood at least six protest sites across the state. A mass exit of, of teachers has already forced 25 school districts to close 600 schools. The biggest district to close, Portland Public Schools, has more than 46,000 students. So it's about class size, no guidance counselors, reliance on outdated computers. Oregon has half the school counselors that national experts suggest. And the shortage of mental health counselors is a big concern across the country, especially after all the recent school shootings. More school librarians, only 158 in Oregon, less than one per district. More school nurses. See, this is, the idea is kind of to turn the school into a community center with library, with medical care, with uh, sociologists, counselors, social workers. 
More school nurses. One, there's, right now, there's only one nurse for one every 5,481 students. A restoration of art, music, and physical education programs that have been cut. More funding for school supplies. 94% of teachers spend their own money on classroom supplies. That's one I can definitely vouch for. To make up the difference between what their students need and what districts can provide. And the politician. Anyway, they're looking to pass a st what's called a Student Success Act. Let's see if we can get our radio labor going now. Well, so for us, this is a radio labor world the, uh, report recorded on Friday, May seventeenth. Artificial intelligence so, to take over. This is radio Our labor. Around the world, the labor plan. movement. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, May 17th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how labor in New Zealand is fighting climate change. Huge corporations are using artificial intelligence to take over public education. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. 
Around the world, the labor movement is confronting the effects of climate change and calling for a just transition for workers to sustainable jobs. In New Zealand, for example, unionists attended a recent conference on a just transition to discuss how the country should react to climate change. The conference was held in Taranaki, a region in the west of the country. One of the unionists at the conference was Sam Huggard, the secretary of the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions. I asked Mr. Huggard to describe who attended the conference in Taranaki and what took place. We had a really exciting Just Transition Summit in Taranaki. It was prompted by some work unions have been doing for the last couple of years. So unions and and workers were there in, in numbers. Employers obviously were there, government training providers, and a key feature for us here in New Zealand is Indigenous people, iwi and hapu from the region, making sure that there's a strong Indigenous focus on the work we're doing on climate change. So it was really just the start of a process for us, but it was a good, it was a pretty good start. What were some of the messages the unionists at the conference passed on to the other delegates? The key point that that workers and their unions were making at the summit was that For workers, there's two parts, really, to a just transition. It's not just about economic diversification, which we absolutely support, but there's got to be a transition and a pathway for workers into new jobs. Creating good jobs alone isn't enough. We, We were really pushing what, I guess, in policy speak, you might call active labour market policies, making sure that there's a dedicated plan in place to support workers through change, with retraining, uh, retooling up, particularly while you're still currently employed before you go to the new job, financial income assistance and smoothing, relocation assistance, a really strong package to support workers through change to, to move into these new jobs. What was the reaction of the government and employer participants to the union arguments about climate change? Well, the reaction from government and employers was they were they were there and they were listening. They, we haven't yet, I think, convinced everyone that the that it's absolutely essential to have that really strong active labour market underpinnings. In part because New Zealand has done a very poor job of this for nearly two or three decades, as an OECD report found a couple of years ago. New Zealand is among the worst in OECD for for penalising workers when they're going through economic restructuring and change. Workers bear the brunt economically of that. So we're having to relearn how to do that, but the commitment is there, which is important. And so really it's going to be up to us to to keep pushing that and to be specific in our requests and demands about what it looks like so it doesn't just get kind of lost in the process. Who in New Zealand will be needing just transition provisions as climate change is confronted? New Zealand's relatively lucky in a sense in that 85% of our electricity already comes from renewable sources, particularly hydro. We have a number of very fast-flowing lakes in our South Island, uh, and to a lesser extent, wind as well. So for us, it's mostly the uh, oil and gas workers and coal workers. They're relatively small in number, but they're a significant group of employment in key industry, key regions for us, including Taranaki, where our summit was held, and including on our west coast of our South Island. So oil and gas is, is first on our list um, at the moment for a just transition, and in part that was brought about by a decision government made last year, which was an important one, to, to give a long-term signal that they'd be ending future permits for offshore oil and gas exploration current permits will run, but there'll be no more future permits. And so we're now starting the plan to phase out of fossil fuels and to heavily invest in renewables to finish closing the loop up to 100% renewables. So now you've had a large and successful conference on climate change. What's next? 
The next steps for us to feed into a, a roadmap which was launched at the Just Transition Summit in Taranaki by, led by the local, local unions and iwi and business and employers and so on. So the next steps for us is to really feed into that to make sure it's got the detail it needs and then really to build public support for the, the funding for the transition. It's an area that was in a way not properly addressed at the summit that the, the funding for a just transition has to come from employers as well as government. The Global Union for Teachers, Education International, is warning that the use of artificial intelligence in schools may lead to loss of privacy for students and minimizing the role of teachers. EI represents more than 30 million teachers and other education workers in 172 countries. It recently released a report outlining concerns that huge education companies will collect massive amounts of data on students and replace place teachers with computer programs. I talked to one of the authors of the report about EI's concerns. Anna Hogan is a lecturer at the University of Queensland in Australia. I asked her about the activities of Pearson, one of the education corporations using artificial intelligence in education. Pearson is one of the world's largest education companies, and it's moved from being this textbook supplier to become this really mainstream provider of all sorts of education products and services. So things like curriculum materials, assessment, online learning programs, teacher professional development, and the list goes on. Uh, and what Pearson's doing, or their strategy, is really moving into that development of the digital learning aspects of their business. And how they're doing that is working towards personalised learning programs that start to integrate artificial intelligence. So personalised learning is where students sit at their computer and they learn through an algorithm which dictates what they need to learn. So you can think of it a little bit like a Siri or Alexa becoming your new school teacher. And the way that companies like Pearson develop these programs, it requires a huge amount of data. They need to understand how students learn to be able to program an algorithm that can essentially teach students what they need to know and in a way that's best for that particular individual. So to get to your uh, question about why we're concerned about this type of um, data privatisation, and there's quite a few issues here. So the first one's around privacy. So in terms of how student data is collected and what types of data are collected. And then this links to the issues of consent. So often users don't have a knowledge or understanding that their data is being collected or in the way that it is used. So, for example, Pearson will collect data from users interacting with its products and services in responses to their exercises, assignments, coursework, instructor comments, the activities they've completed. While these are all de-identified and aggregated to analyse how um, Pearson services are used and then going into their education research and supporting the strategic development of its products and services. But in the report, we basically suggest that then this leads to issues of transparency as consent is not always explicitly sought. And then there's also issues around data ownership and data responsibility. As Pearson suggests, they're only stewards of student data and it's actually owned by its institutional customers, which then leads to this idea that I suppose around data openness, because if schools own the data or students own the data and Pearson owns the products that are being produced and sold from the data, 
and essentially the knowledge is being locked up in corporate silos, meaning that the benefit for learners and society more broadly is not realised. So this is what we call the privatisation of the data and the data infrastructure. So if Pearson was to open up and share their knowledge of their algorithms and what they're learning from this data, then potentially the social benefits for all of society in terms of student knowledge and understanding would be uh, greatly enhanced. And I suppose uh, the last thing to sort of raise in terms of the concern is about the ethics of these programs themselves. So we know that personalised learning uses algorithms to predict customers' capabilities. And these predictions basically allow students to go to next types or it basically grants or withholds their access to different types of learning opportunities. So in a way, students are being taught through these predicted actions and it's not really allowing them the opportunity to surprise us as they often do in our traditional classrooms. The report prepared by Ms. Hogan and Sam Sellar is called Pearson 2025, Transforming Teaching and Privatizing Education Data. You can find more about the report on Education International's website at www.ei-ie.org. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the concerted anti-union campaign by a U.S.-based airline, more attacks on Turkish journalists, and the global protest by Uber drivers as the company went public this week. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Jute mill workers in Bangladesh were off the job in a protest over wage theft. University workers in India started the second week of their walkout over wages on Thursday. A wage and safety strike by hotel room attendants in France passed the 35-day mark this week. Rail workers in Mali completed the fifth month of their strike over wages and wage theft, and an associated hunger strike by the union's leadership ended on medical advice this week. Public sector workers in Guinea-Bissau held the second in a series of two-day walkouts to back their union's demand for a wage increase. More than half of Côte d'Ivoire's school system was completely shut down as teachers there escalated their wage dispute with a day-long walkout. A wage strike continued this week at an airport in Chile. Indian municipal workers took a half-day off work to attend a rally demanding the wages owed to them. And Greek hospital workers struck against the lingering effects of a decade of austerity policies on Thursday. Our top working women's stories included coverage of union preparations for next month's women's strike in Switzerland, a renewed campaign by Spanish unions to force employers and the government to re-examine workplace safety and health through a gender lens, and the challenges faced by Indonesian domestic workers as they begin to organize. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the seven-month-long struggle by workers in Barbados to fix an unhealthy workplace, the safety strike over union representation issues in Canada, and the efforts being made by United Kingdom airline unions to address mental health issues in the workplace. Currently, Labor Start is running two online actions. 
Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here from their loft in 2020 is Australia's Victorian trade union choir with You Knew, Grandpa, You Knew. That's it. International labor news you can use. I'm Marc Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. The beat goes on. Uh, the World Labor Report includes uh, an idea of the Pearson Company. The Pearson Company is locked in now to the educational establishment. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is how much money there is in this whole structure of, of testing and artificial intelligence and textbooks. Uh, these are billion-dollar enterprises. Thus, the desire of private companies to get in and uh, make a killing off the work of children. Um, Anna Hogan from Australia, an Australian teacher union, talking about artificial intelligence. And believe me, if there is any, if there is any endeavor that takes face-to-face 
person-to-person interchange. It's education. Learning from a machine is learning from a machine. Learning from a computer is learning from a computer. Learning from people is something entirely different. A good teacher. All right, so radio labor. Let's uh, let's get a song going here. Bruce Springsteen. I thought I heard the captain say. Money down tomorrow is our sailing day. Pay me my money down. Pay me, pay me, pay me my money down. Pay me or go to jail. Pay me my money down. Soon as that Yeah. 
get ready There's a train coming You don't need no baggage You just get on board All you need is faith To hear the diesel's humming You don't need no ticket You just thank the Lord Senator Barbara Boxer, 
The latest is Georgia. With one signature, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp defiantly established one of America's most restrictive abortion rights law. Georgia's so-called heartbeat bill makes it a crime for a woman to end her pregnancy after six weeks when most don't even know they're pregnant. Essentially, it is a complete ban on abortion. Lawmakers in Texas are attempting to remove an exception for abortion from the Texas Penal Code for Homicide. It would make it a crime for women to have an abortion, and those who do could face the death penalty. Let's be very clear about what abortion bans mean. They mean women seeking an abortion after rape or incest go to jail. They mean doctors who have dedicated their careers to helping others go to prison. Legal restrictions do not eradicate abortions. Before Roe v. Wade, it is estimated that 1.2 million American women sought illegal abortions annually. 5,000 of those women would die every single year, 14 women per day. The debate around abortion is not a matter of political disagreement. It's a matter of life and death for hundreds of thousands of women. Roe v. Wade says that this decision is between a woman, her doctor, and whomever else she wants to involve, like her family, her God, her best friend, not her senator, not the president. It is none of their business. Share this video if you believe abortion rights are human rights. Okay, and that was Senator Barbara Boxer discussing the uh, latest super restrictive abortion laws that are passed, that have been passed recently in the South, which are basically a way to get a hearing between before the Supreme Court, a hearing of Roe versus Wade, depending on conservative justices to uh, strike the law down and make abortion illegal. And as Senator Boxer says, what you're doing is you're not outlawing abortion. People are still going to get abortions. You are making them unsafe. You make them... A woman put her, her body on the line. Her own body. I mean, uh, I think... The whole idea is forced pregnancy, and we can go back to the slave laws in the United States where women were used as breeders to have children. And in order to struggle against that reality, women who would look at their little babies and decide they didn't want their little babies to grow up under slavery for their little daughters to be raped, for their little sons to be beaten and oppressed and whipped. Abortions, okay? That's a woman's right to choose. Anyone who doesn't have control over her own body is a slave. Might as well say it. We want you to be slaves for us. We want you just to shut up and have kids. And if you get raped, have the kid. Even if you don't want to put 20 years of your life on the line and commit to 
whatever you have to commit to. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be a mother that way. Okay, here's Gloria Steinem talking about the same issue. How about we treat every young man who wants to buy a gun like every woman who wants to get an abortion? Mandatory 48-hour waiting period, parental permission, note from his doctor proving he understands what he's about to do, a video he has to watch about the effects of gun violence. Let's close down all but one gun shop in every state and make him travel hundreds of miles, take time off work, stay overnight in a strange town in order to get a job, in order to get a gun. Make him work through a gauntlet of people holding photos of loved ones who are shot to death. People who call him a murderer and beg him not to buy a gun. So see, it's easier for you to go out and buy a gun than it is in some places to join a union. <laughs> Amazing. I was talking about uh, Audrey Hepburn. On this day, May 4th, 1929, actress and member of the Dutch resistance Audrey Hepburn was born in Belgium. A daughter of wealthy British and Dutch fascists, Hepburn rejected the politics of her parents and worked as a courier for and performed in underground concerts to raise funds for the Dutch anti-Nazi resistance during Holland's occupation. Audrey Hepburn talked about she was a ballerina. She was a well-known ballerina in the in the community, the Dutch community, and she performed. She performed in situations where there couldn't be much noise, so people wouldn't clap for her. It was a silent ballet that Audrey Hepburn danced. As noted here, Working Class History website, she did carry messages and she said she would stick the papers in her socks and ride her bike around and distribute leaflets. So, Audrey Hepburn. Volkswagen. Even as Volkswagen keeps saying it's officially neutral, this is people's world. Its bosses convinced the National Labor Relations Board to throw a legal delay into the United Auto Workers' new organizing drive at its Chattanooga, Tennessee plant. In response, the union has dropped a labor law breaking, formerly called unfair labor practices, charges it filed against VW in an ongoing dispute over whether the company must recognize UAW's recognition win by Local 42 in the small unit of 160 unionized VW skilled trades workers there. 
That withdrawal knocks the props out from under the company's maneuver, opening the way for a vote among all 1,700 Chattanooga workers, the union told the NLRB on May 9th. The board now dominated by Trump-named members, however, has yet to agree. Now, the NLRB and the Department of Labor are supposed to take care of the American worker, to represent the interests of the American worker at a governmental level, federal level. On May 3rd, by a two-to-one party-line vote, the NLRB sided with VW and delayed the vote. Illegal maneuvering marks UAW's second attempt to organize all the Chattanooga workers in one of only two VW non-union plants worldwide, the others in China. UAW's campaign to unionize Chattanooga and a similar effort at Nissan's plant in Mississippi is part of the union's drive to break through into foreign transplant auto factories in the traditionally and culturally union hostile South. The first attempt to unionize ended in a narrow election loss on Valentine's Day 2014 after a multi-million dollar campaign by right-wing outside lobbies designed to threaten, threaten the workers. Anti-union drive is aided and abetted by GOP politicians, former Governor Phil Bredesen and then Senator Bob Corker, former Chattanooga mayor. State legislator threatened that if Chattanooga workers went union, the state would yank planned subsidies and tax breaks for expanding the plant. Okay, so let's watch that one. They propose that there'll be another election soon. Hmm. Once again, the union said it was the workers, upset by erratic scheduling and variable work rules, who began the latest organizing drive. Okay, wherever you go, whatever you do, it's happening. It's happening all around you. And the funny thing is, not funny, what am I talking about? Unions are more workers, um, bosses are more willing to spend millions of dollars to keep us from joining unions. And the question is why? When, when you're talking to somebody about unions, joining a union or not joining a union, you have to go back to this question. Okay, why are they so interested in keeping you from joining a union. 
Corporations say that unions are pointless wastes of money, of your money, that do nothing. Also, corporations spent $2.5 million on a campaign to discourage you from joining your useless, pointless union, which does nothing. Please don't join it. Come on. What is it that they hate so much? They hate someone taking part of what they consider their profits. They hate it that workers sit opposite them as equals. Here's an example. Video games and drinks. This is from the New York Times. Video games and drinks are union-induced. Delta's pitch draws fire. Delta Airlines is facing backlash for suggesting to employees that it would be more fun to spend their money on new video games or rounds of drinks than on union dues. The idea communicated in flyers that have been displayed in the employer's, employee's break rooms attack, attracted sudden criticism on Thursday. It gained momentum on Friday as images were shared online. A new video game system with the latest hit sounds like fun, one flyer said. Put your money towards that instead of paying dues to the union, another said. Nothing's more enjoyable than a night out watching football with your buddies. All those union dues you pay every year could buy a few rounds. A third said, tickets and food to a baseball game for a family aren't cheap. That's $700 in union dues you'd be paying every year. Could go a long way. Stop trying to undercut workers' right to form unions and negotiate for better wages, says Bernie. Sherrod Brown, Democrat of Ohio, said the flyers were condescending. <laughs> condescending, huh? Uh, yeah, go... Go sit with your buddies and watch TV. Go out to a restaurant. Okay? Go get some video games and play video games. A new video game system with the latest hit sounds. Sounds like fun. Put your money towards that instead of paying dues to the union. There must be something, huh? <coughs> About unions that they don't like. It's Count Basie.
if you can't be careful try to be good well we cared and we cared as much as we could we always agreed me and my man we said someday we'll try the family plan the first thing we tried was nothing at all it calls an amateur ride and everything's here fall we charted my tides followed my moon but then someday came a little too soon I got the nine month of blue But he was kind of happy when he heard my news I got the nine month blues There was him and me and the baby made three But we made up our minds to stay that way With little bit of things made of rubber and such And cause we were friends we decided to go Dutch When we said I do it was a solemn oath So we did and we did and it pleased us both We still can't figure out what went wrong But that's the first line of the nine month song I got the nine month blues Too much to gain and too much to lose I Get out the dress and the sensible shoes I got the nine month blues I said this time around I'm gonna cast my stone I'm gonna have a chance to call my life my own About the SPC, the FPA They said to keep that child Don't fling it away The doctor said he had the right to refuse The law says if you want to beat the noose You gotta be rich or near to your grave So away I went again on my nine-month rave I got the nine-month blues Too much to gain, too much to lose And that time around I gotta make twos I got the nine-month blues
such a long time after every nine months of blues. Too much to gain, too much to lose. Now, don't you think we ought to have the right to choose to sing the 20-year blues? Far too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Father, Father We don't need to escalate Oh, you see, war is not the answer for only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Oh, picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Come on, talk to me so you can see Everybody thinks we're wrong 
Who are they to judge us? Simply because we wear our hair so long You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Oh, picket lines, picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Come on, talk to me so you can see what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, oh, what's going on. What's going on? John Legend there with uh, Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye's big hit, What's Going On, anti-war song. Before that, we had Peggy Seeger with a nine-month blues telling us about pregnancy from a woman's point of view. Imagine that. And of course, we know, have to admit that there are a lot of women who, there were some women who supported the Alabama anti-abortion bill. The governor herself signed it. And she had the chance, if she'd wanted to, to make exceptions to the law that would protect women who had been raped or uh, had committed incest, had incest committed on them. Um, and the, the big contradiction here is that the price for seeking an abortion to control your own body is greater than the penalty for rape. Greater than the penalty for rape. Some of these bills say that someone who helps you get an abortion, who takes you out of the state to get an abortion, can be put in jail for 99 years. Let's listen to a little of uh, Democracy Now. To ratchet up as legislatures and Republican governors around the country pass increasingly restrictive abortion laws. On Wednesday, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey signed the nation's most restrictive abortion ban into law, effectively banning the procedure, except in cases where a pregnant person's life is at serious risk. The law does not make exceptions in cases of rape or incest, and doctors could face up to life in prison for performing abortion. 
abortions. Last week, Georgia enacted a law banning abortion when a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which often occurs at around six weeks into pregnancy, before many people even realize they're pregnant. Similar bills have also been passed in Iowa, Kentucky, North Dakota, Ohio and Mississippi. Just yesterday, Missouri's Republican-led Senate passed a bill banning abortions at eight weeks of pregnancy. Reproductive rights groups are challenging these laws in court. For now, the bans have either been blocked or have not yet gone into effect. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi responded to the abortion ban in Alabama Thursday and warned the country is heading down a dangerous path. At the same time, have been dismantling and sabotaging and continuing their attacks on health care. And now for women, specifically, as we have seen in Alabama, heartbreaking and unconstitutional assault on basic reproductive freedoms. It's really, um, I don't want to be a fearmonger, but I do believe that uh, they're trying to go on a path that will totally dismantle Roe v. Wade, and we have to be vigilant and. Uh, express our, our concerns on this legislation. Okay, so that was uh, Nancy Pelosi. And uh, before that, we had uh, Amy Goodman talking about new... So when they talk about labor now, we talk about labor here on the show. Labor means doing the work to produce a child, <clears throat> okay? If you don't want that work, too bad, okay? That's what you're there for, is to have a child. And nothing else can interrupt with that, not if you get raped, not if some family member rapes you, your health is at risk. In some states, you have to allow the rapist visitation rights. It's all about men exercising power over women. You know, we have that saying, that tradition, that women can control. Well, they can. If they don't have control of your own body, what can you control? I want to talk a little about <clears throat> Karen Silkwood <clears throat> or some kind of a some kind of a uh, an anniversary of when she was run off the road. Um, might not know who Karen Silkwood is. She was from Texas. Born in 1946, a labor union activist who worked in the nuclear power industry, known for raising concerns about corporate practices related to health and safety in a nuclear facility. She became the first woman on the union's negotiating team. She testified before the Atomic Energy Commission. She was found to have plutonium contamination on her person and in her home. While driving to meet a New York Times journalist and an official of her union's national office, she died in a car crash under unclear circumstances. Well, not so unclear. 
Um, Silkwood was driving to a meeting. She had a lot of papers with her that detailed some of the illegal uh, safety practices or lack of them in the facility in uh, Oklahoma. Um, she was married to a guy named William Meadows, and uh, she had three children, left her husband in 1972, and moved to Oklahoma City. She was hired by Kermagee Fuel Fabrication Company. Silkwood joined the local Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union and took part in a strike at the plant. She was elected to the union's bargaining committee. She and her union discovered numerous violations of health regulations, including exposure of workers to contamination, faulty respiratory equipment, and improper storage of samples. She believed the lack of sufficient shower facilities could increase the risk of employee contamination. The Carnegie plant had manufactured faulty fuel rods, falsified product inspection records, and risked employees' safety. So this case was just beginning when Silkwood performed a routine self-check and found that her body contained almost 400 times the legal limit for plutonium contamination. She and her allies claimed that her house had been contaminated purposely. The company had the infirmary to say that she had smuggled, smuggled the the contaminated stuff in her vagina. Um, Anyway, she was on her way to a meeting. She had assembled documentation for her claims. She decided to go public and contacted a New York Times journalist who was interested in her story. On November 13th, 1974, she left a union meeting at the Hub Cafe in Crescent, Oklahoma. Another attendee of that meeting later testified that Silkwood had a binder and a packet of documents with her at the cafe. Silkwood got into her car and headed for Oklahoma City, about 30 miles away, to meet with a reporter and an official of her union's national office. Later that evening, her body was found in a car which had run off the road and struck a culvert. The car contained none of the documents. She was pronounced dead at the scene. The trooper of the scene remembers that he found one or two tablets of quaaludes in the car and cannabis. A police report indicated that she fell asleep at the wheel. Some journalists have theorized that Tilkwood's car was rammed from behind by another vehicle. Skid marks from Tilkwood's car were present. 
suggesting that she was trying to get onto the road after being pushed from behind. Investigators noted the damage on the rear of her vehicle had not been present before the accident. The crash was a front-end collision. It did not explain the damage of the rear of the vehicle. Microscopic examination of the rear of Silkwood's car showed that paint chips could only have come from a rear impact by another vehicle. This is the basis of uh, movie Silkwood with Meryl Streep. The jury rendered its verdict of half a million dollars of damages and ten million dollars in punitive damages. The judges was the judgment was reduced to five thousand. The U.S. Supreme Court restored the original verdict version verdict ruling that the NRC's exclusive authority to set safety standards did not foreclose the sale the state tort remedies Kermigee settled out of court for 1.38 million dollars if you're interested in this read Richard Rashke's book The Killing of Karen Silkwood um Rashke investigated the crime on behalf of uh, Silkwood's family. I'll play a couple of things. About Karen Silkwood's songs. About... Uh, Aaron Silkwood, this is from Boxer the Horse.
Are you Karen Silkwood? The news is bad Your body's on fire The worst that we've had Might have been the canister Probably the gloves Better not get too near To the ones that you love Karen Silkwood We've heard about you Talking to the outside Dumb thing to do People lose confidence We might close down Little girl, the stakes are high We don't fool around Are you Karen Silkwood? on back to bed This thing's too big for us It's gone to your head You've got your mission I got my doubts I never asked for this Babe, I think I want out Are you Karen Silkwood? I'll be on the next flight I think we've got them nailed this time Are you sure you're alright? The union's behind you Right down the line I'll be there at the restaurant With the man from the Times Christ has nothing but blood Better get the ambulance But it won't do no good They're saying she had some notes in the car But they're nowhere around Jeez, the place is crawling with press But she don't make a sound for a while. You people can watch when I'm scrubbing these floors and I'm scrubbing the floors while you're gawking. Maybe once you tip me and it makes you feel swell in this crummy southern town in this crummy old hotel, but you'll never guess to who you're talking. No, you couldn't ever guess to who you're talking. Then a scream in the night and you wonder who could that have been and you see me kind of grinning while I'm scrubbing and you say what she got to grin I'll tell you there's a she the black freighter 
the skull on its masthead will be coming in. You gentlemen can say, hey gal, finish them floors, get upstairs, what's wrong with you, earn your keep here. And you toss me your tips and look out to the ships, but I'm counting your heads as I'm making the beds, cause there's nobody gonna sleep here. Tonight, nobody's gonna sleep here, honey. Nobody. Nobody. Then one night, there's a scream in the night, and you say, who's that kicking up a row? And you see me kind of staring out the window, you say, what's she got to stare at now? I'll tell you, there's a ship, the black freighter turns around in the harbor, shooting guns from her bow. smile off your face because every building in town is a flat one this whole freaking place will be down to the ground only this cheap hotel standing up safe and sound and you yell why do they spare that one yes that's what you say why do they spare that one that lives up there and you see me stepping out in the morning looking nice with a ribbon in my hair <laughs> and the ship the black freighter
may pile up the bodies. And I'll say, that'll learn ya. friend of labor and when I say labor I mean you labor and love radio where the labor meets the road come on down the mutiny and join join the madness community radio community art center everything's going on here we got art installations we got radio, we got comedy, you name it. Come on down to Mutiny and make your mark. This is The Beast signing off. Hope you have a good week and good work. See you again on next Saturday. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship 
as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Jester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics deep in the mission where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for, <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage on the Mountain Ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. Listening to one radio station. You need radio you're station? You're three all, all the others. They are, they are tweeting in all, all frequencies. And you keep them. So just listen to, to one specific six. Saturday, Saturday to two? And you need the sound quality, quality good and you understand everything that's playing. Plain. However, however, if your radio video is not fine too, too, you might need two or two or three or more stage stations at the same time. time.
Hey, me and Nears Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we gotta serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. If you're looking for some delicious late night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside you can find counter offer, offering you amazing late night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit, it's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamylicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Dude. 
This is Tutor Matters with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! Pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Benders brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. It's noon Saturday, Flat Black Plastic, MutinyRadio.fm. Super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 10. I, uh, I'm only six and a half years old, and well, I've never run an elevator before. Yes, buddy, come on. Uh, oh my gosh. Hi, folks. I may be off 